today's scripture is Joshua 24, verses 14 through 28. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God, we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote those words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. That's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, you are truly uh, great and greatly to be praised. Yet we are uh, grateful to be here on uh, January 5th, 2020, as we embark upon a new year and a new decade uh, together as uh, your people who stand firm on your covenant promises. I pray today, God, that we would um, continue to, um, to look back and remember the old news that was given to us, that was written about the most ancient of days. And God, I just pray that uh, who you are, what you've done, would just uniquely prepare us today uh, for this new year and this new decade. Uh, God, thank you for... Um, Thank you for your faithfulness uh, to your people, the Israelites, even though they were unfaithful. And I thank you, God, that we can, um, that you are the faithful in the same way to us, even when we are unfaithful. So, God, I just pray that we would be reminded this morning of your uh, kindness and your goodness to us. We love you. We thank you that you loved us first and that you love us more. And God's people said, amen. Good morning. Happy New Year. Happy New Decade, 2000. 2020, I guess is the way you say it, 2020. Um, so we are, uh, as, as Pat talked about, we are gonna, we're going to look um, forward a little bit after spending last week looking backwards. We're now five days into a new decade, January 5th, 2020. It's easy to forget the news of the past, particularly God's past faithfulness, and to remember the news of the present. I even found myself the first few days of this year um, um, pondering new news that actually caused me a little bit of angst. 
because I went into this new news not being anchored in with the oldest of news. A couple of things that, that increase some angst is, one, is the possibility of a Nolan Arenado trade. That keeps me up at night. The other is that we, I have a new 10-year-old car. I think I've talked about it in the past, that as I was at the Brown Palace Hotel with my dad and my brothers, um, in valet parking, um, the valet parker guy um, decided to um, give me a dent in the bottom of the car, as you can see. My car was damaged. Going into the new year, there's talks of war. There is uncertainty economically and politically. And I come from a background of finance. I like to stay up on the markets. And uh, I probably spend too much time on Yahoo Finance and reading about the Elliott Wave Theory and looking at charts and that type of thing. Um, don't ask me for investment advice. There's other people that are better in this body than me. But there is new news that is at our doorstep every day that can cause angst. And my hope this morning is that I would encourage you that when we read new news outside of the context of the oldest news, that it can lead to worry and despair and idolatry. The solution for a better life in 2020 is not better news. It's less new news. The solution for a better life, one where we're growing in Christ's likeness, doesn't come from new news. It sprouts from the oldest of news brought to us by the ancient of days. This year, I need more of the old news. And I, when I say old news, I don't want you to think like this is old news. But this is ancient news for yesterday and for today and for tomorrow. Last Sunday, we took time, as Pat said, to remember God's faithfulness and goodness to each of us this past year. We did that last Sunday, and it's one of my favorite services ever. Uh, we, did, we did one service um, because it's the, the service after Christmas is usually lightly attended, and it was. Um, but I would encourage you that if you weren't here last Sunday, um, and we have video cameras in here to tell us who was here and who wasn't here. No, we have no idea who was here and who wasn't here. Uh, I'd encourage you to... Um, after the service, pick up a rock at the connection table and take it home and make it a family project for dinner. It was really uh, cool where um, we actually gave everybody last Sunday a rock and a Sharpie, and it was a family service. There were kids in the service, so that's a little bit dangerous. Um, I only had two rocks thrown at me, and there's only three or four chairs that were written on, but it was a good exercise. And I wanted to just read to you just a, a couple of the, I just pulled these out randomly a couple of people that just wrote on the rock um, remembrance of God's faithfulness and goodness to them. Thank you for saving my family and letting me go to heaven. And a picture of a rock on the backside. He is, a he is a refining fire. His grip is gentle, firm. Um, he holds me fast. We sang the song last week, He Holds Me Fast grace on the backside. But I don't know about you, but it's just, it, for me, it's just, it's just easy to jump into a new year and a new decade and a new day and a new Monday and just, and just, just move forward and that, without grounding myself in old news. In old news, that is news for today and every day. God has never broken one single promise to his people. And thankfully, God's covenant faithfulness is not dependent upon you and I. And if you look at the history of Israel, we're going to look at the, a little bit of the history of Israel today, you see this, this proof that from the very beginning, it, is, it has always been about Yahweh's unmerited favor to His people. It's always been about God's or Yahweh's um, grace and mercy. It hasn't been so much about our obedience, praise be to God. God's covenant promises to His people throughout all time are not dependent upon our faithfulness. 
And that's enough to just say, um, praise God and amen, let's go home. With that said, the grace that has been freely given to us does demand a response. The privilege and blessing of being God's children comes with responsibility and obligation, if I can say that. Not sure what's going on. So the privilege and blessing of being God's children comes with responsibility and obligation. And it's in remembering the old news that we find increasing desire and delight to serve him. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, we will serve the Lord. A little bit of context here. Um, Joshua wrote this that uh, Patrick just read. Joshua is 110 years old. He has been the leader of Israel up for some 40 years and now at the end of his life, and at the cusp of Israel going into the promised land and taking possession of it, Joshua asks the people to commit to the Lord. Joshua challenges God's people. This is a challenge and a, deserves a response from us today as well. He challenges God's people to choose this day whom you will serve. And I want to I read something to you as we move forward. A good friend actually reminded me of this between the services. That all the way back in Deuteronomy, chapter 31, verse 7 through 8, the keys to leading Israel were being handed from Moses to Joshua. It says, Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all of Israel, Be strong and courageous. For you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. So this is some 40 years later at the end of Joshua's life, and the... the um, the command, if you will, or the appeal that he gives to the nation of Israel, I guess they're not technically um, a nation right now, but the, the Israelites, is to, um, he, he, can, he can give them a, this appeal to serve the Lord because he has been anchored in and seen God's faithfulness over the years. And can I tell you that if you're going into the year expecting bad news or even reading good news and hoping that good news to somehow satisfy you, you're going to be disappointed. That the only way to go into a new year and a new day and a new hour is to be anchored in to the old news. And that old news is that we serve a God who is faithful to his covenant promises. That he promises to never leave or forsake you. It's remembering the old news that he has delivered Israel from Egypt. It's the old news um, of a current reminder that he has delivered you and I from the power of sin and Satan and death. So my prayer for you this morning is that as we revisit this old news, that you would have an increasing desire and might I say an increasing delight to serve the Lord. So I'm going to take a quick Passover in, in Joshua 24, verses 1 through 13, just to give us a little bit of context. So in these first 13 verses, Joshua turns the spotlight on the sovereign, promise-keeping God. And he calls all the people. And then the Lord speaks through Joshua by recalling his faithfulness to his covenant people. And what I want you to notice is I give a high... A high uh, uh, high-altitude Passover over these verses, I want you to notice the first-person singular verbs that Joshua uses for God to make his point that the people did nothing and God did everything. Uh, this is so key moving forward into the new year and new day is remembering that anything good in our lives, most importantly, our salvation, but anything good is a result of God's kindness and his faithfulness to us. Chapter 24, verse 3a, I took your father Abraham. 
Listen to all the eyes. This is the Lord speaking. I gave him Isaac, 3b, the son of promise. To Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau, verse 4. Verse 5, I sent Moses and Aaron. I plagued Egypt. I brought you out of Egypt. Verse 6, I brought your fathers out. Verse 8, I brought you to the land. Verse 8 again, I gave them, your enemies, into your hand. Verse 10, again, I delivered you out of Balaam's hand. And then verse 12 and 13, it was not by your sword, it was not by your bow. I gave you a land in which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive, and olive orchards that you did not plant. Israel's entire history is the record of God's overflowing covenant grace. And might I say that our entire history, your entire history, everything good that has come to you is a record of God's overflowing grace and mercy and kindness. Like Israel, we are a people of undeserved but abundant mercy from start to finish. It's grace alone that defines who we really are. So in spite of Israel's constant rebellion and unfaithfulness, God's people now find themselves at the end of Joshua's life um, at Shechem, at the doorstep of the promised land. They're ready to finally possess the land that was promised to them. Not one word over the years of God's promises has ever failed God's people, even when those whom he made his covenant promise were unfaithful. And the more that we um, got, the more, more that we God's people understand this mind-blowing truth of God's covenant faithfulness, the more compelled we'll be to, to, um, toward wholehearted and exclusive devotion to our Lord. So as God's people prepare to take formal possession of the land, Joshua leads them in a covenant renewal ceremony. This is so important. This is important for them, and I believe this will be helpful to you and I as we embark upon a new year and a new decade with much new news to process. Verse 14, now therefore, God's done all this. He's been faithful to all of his past promises. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. God's covenant um, Covenant of grace is not a quid pro quo arrangement where favor or advantage is granted or expected in return for something. We know that. If you know Jesus, you know that. There is nothing that you did to earn God's favor. That we were actually in rebellion. We were enemies. We were dead in our sin, sins and trespasses. With that said, as God's covenant partners, as ones who have been purchased by Jesus' shed blood, we do have a responsibility and we do have an obligation. And the Lord wants us to exercise those responsibilities and those obligations with delight. This obligation to serve the Lord increasingly becomes a delight the more we understand the old news. And my fear is that in the church, that the old news truly becomes old news, and we want to move past it to things that are more substantial. And the old news of God's covenant promise to his people, particularly seen in the person of Jesus Christ, we should never move past. And that's why some churches celebrate the Lord's Supper every single Sunday. It's why we celebrate right now once a month, that we never want to move past that old news. So he says, now therefore, because of all God's faithfulness to his covenant, because of your privilege and position, there is a response, and it's not a one-time response, it's an ongoing one. It's a response to free grace. Somebody reminded me last week that um, grace is free, but it's also costly. It's a paradox. That we're saved by grace, it's nothing that we've done. But it demands a response. There is a cost. We see that all throughout Scripture. Fear the Lord, Joshua says, and serve Him. What fear is, is it's being in awe of who God is and what He's done. That's why verses 1 through 13 come before verses 14 through 28. 
That's why Romans chapter 1 through 11 come through before Romans um, 12 and the end of the, of the book. That's why indicatives always come before imperatives. That we're to, that when we, when we actually take a look and, um, and digest and value and appreciate who God is and what He's done, it, it puts us in awe of Him. And it's that awe that is the motivator for us to move forward uh, in a proper response. A proper fear of the Lord will compel a man from the inside out to serve him with sincerity and faithfulness. And when Joshua says to fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness, what he's saying is serve him in completeness or fullness with every fiber of your body. The idea here is a complete devotion and surrender of every aspect of our life to the Lord. This is not a knee-jerk reaction. He's not looking for swords in the air saying that we're going to serve the Lord based on an emotional speech. He wants to call them back to be in awe of who God is and what God has done. Paul talked about this type of devotion in Romans 12.1. And, and, and I've already mentioned this, but if you look at Paul's writings and his epistles, usually the first half of his book is about the indicatives of Scripture, the indicatives of who God is and what He's done, and therefore who we are in light of that. That's the indicatives. Imperatives are now what, so what? How should we respond to who God is and what God has done? Are you with me? This is critical. This is so critical to understanding Paul's writings. It's actually critical to understanding the gospel. Because if you get it backwards, it's, it's legalism. That we're, 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 we're called to respond to who God is and what he has done for us. Um, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, Paul says, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, to serve the Lord with sincerity and faithfulness that is, that is holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. On, the basis, on what basis does Paul make his appeal? He makes his appeal upon the mercies of God. He doesn't make his appeal um, uh, so, you know, the, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice or to Joshua to serve the Lord with sincerity and faithfulness so that you'd be accepted by God. He says, because God has been merciful, because God is long-suffering, by the mercies of God, I appeal to you. He doesn't command, though. Paul doesn't command um, that they present their bodies as a living sacrifice. And I believe Joshua isn't commanding them to serve the Lord with sincerity and faithfulness. They both appeal to who God is and what He's done. And they believe that as we anchor into that ancient news, that we're going to be compelled, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians compelled by the love of God to love God. Here's another example of Paul appealing to someone. In Paul's short letter to Philemon, he asked Philemon to hire back and forgive uh, uh, Philemon's former slave, Onesimus. You might know a little bit about Onesimus. He stole from Philemon, and he ran away. And Paul is telling Philemon that you need to forgive Onesimus. He says, oh, yeah, and by the way, I don't want you just to um, forgive him. I want you to restore him back to the position he had in your household. Listen to the way Paul says it, though. Paul is writing to Philemon. Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I appeal to you. Would that be love? If we just walked around scared all the time, of God's response, and we obeyed Him or served Him or um, presented our bodies as living sacrifices out of fear for what He's going to do to us. No, love is remembering who He is, His character, and what He has done for us. Our response to that is loving. Paul understands 
that when we understand the old news, the ancient of news, of God's mercy and love for us, the news that keeps on giving, that our duty to worship God will turn into delight, that our casual obedience will turn into passionate pursuit, and that our stoic endurance will turn into faith-filled hope. And how does Paul say to worship God, to serve God, if you will? He says that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is the same thing as Joshua saying that we're to serve the Lord with sincerity and faithfulness. You see, our sacrificial lives of devotion to the Lord are not what makes us acceptable to God. It's Jesus. It's Jesus himself that made the ultimate sacrifice on our behalf. We are accepted and loved because of faith in Jesus' finished work on the cross. You see, God's people of Israel were accepted because of faith. In light of of Jesus' great work of redemption, we can offer our lives as holy and acceptable worship to the Lord of mercy, imperfectly. Imperfectly. When I speak of sacrifice, when we speak of sacrifice today, um, we don't think of it in the way that the Bible readers thought of it. When I think of sacrifice, um, I think of maybe um, my children um, sacrificing some comforts today to put some money aside for their kids' um, education. That's a good thing. That's a sacrifice. We usually think of sacrifice as giving up something today in order to um, maybe get something greater um, later. This is not the case with biblical sacrifice. God's people don't sacrifice to get something. We sacrifice because we have already received everything. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe the ancient news that God is a promise keeper, that if you know Jesus Christ, you have been giving everything you need for life and godliness? Sacrifice in the times of when the Bible was written, both Old Testament and New Testament, sacrifice was a common term to the Jewish people who had been delivered or saved from Egypt, from slavery in Egypt. Leviticus spells out the different sacrifices, and one of those animal sacrifices is called the burnt offering. And my, my hope is it just helps you understand what it means to present our bodies as a living sacrifice or to um, serve the Lord with, genero- with uh, sincerity and faithfulness. These were called burnt offerings. In the burnt offering, the entire animal was consumed on the altar. It was the duty of the priest to offer a burnt offering every morning and every evening so the fire never went out. It was called the whole or continual burnt offering. The burnt offering was the most costly offering there was because it completely burned up the animal other than the pelt itself. The motive for offering the burnt offering is assumed but not specific, but not specified, and it was to express thanksgiving and penitence and vows and self-dedication. This sacrifice, this burnt offering, this continual offering was a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Serve the Lord with sincerity and faithfulness. In a like manner, presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, as Paul appeals to us by God's mercy in Romans 12, verse 1, in presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, you and I are to live our lives in continual and complete devotion to the Lord. This type of life orientation involves a total life orientation towards God through the person of Jesus Christ. In 14b, back to Joshua, he not only says, fear the Lord, serve him with sincerity and faithfulness, he says, put away gods. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. 
he necessarily involves choosing not to serve other gods. He doesn't just stop and say, serve the Lord with sincerity and faithfulness. He says that we're to put away other gods, little g. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Serving other gods is referred to as idolatry. Idolatry is false worship. It's putting anything in the place of God, even good things. Worship directed at the wrong object or direction is called idolatry. And one author defines idolatry this way. It's an attack on God's exclusive rights to our love, to our trust, and our obedience. So the question isn't, are we all worshipers? Or or do we worship? That's not the right question. But does our worship travel in the right direction? As we embark upon a new year, is is the posture of our heart to, um, to worship Um, the one true God. You see, worship is not the problem. It's the aim of our worship that needs to be examined. We're always worshiping somebody or something. Idolatry, worshiping other gods, is dangerous because it it almost always involves the offer of good things as a substitute for God. The offer of good things. It's looking to anything other than God for our ultimate satisfaction, our ultimate comfort, our ultimate security, and our ultimate joy. How do we know if there are idols in our lives going into this new year? These are just questions to ask that might reveal, may not. What do, we, what do you get most excited about? What do you most long for? Nancy and I get to take off on a little vacation this Thursday morning. Excited about it. Like, truly excited about it. I don't think it's idolatry, but I'm excited about it. I'm sure I will see some satisfaction, some happiness in it. 86 degrees, sunny. Jealous? Another question, what do we order our lives around? What truly excites and drives us? And maybe when when we take a look at what we order our life around, what excites us and drives us, what we long for, and then maybe maybe we don't get what we were longing for. How do you respond to that? Flights canceled. Kids disobey. Spouse doesn't love you in the way that you feel like you love them. How do you respond to that? That might be a greater indicator of the direction of your worship. You see, when I worship an idol, I'm saying, fulfill me, console me, protect me, rule me, satisfy me, make me happy. I'm saying, you are worthy of my strength, my time, my affections, because only you, idol, can truly make me happy. Here's what C.S. Lewis says about idols. He says, idols inevitably break the heart of their worshipers. Bob Dylan, the great theologian, Saying, but, you got to ha- but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Joshua, at the end of his life, 40-plus years of faithfully serving the Lord, probably tired, probably tired of the faithlessness of God's people, He doesn't just give them a a, a good little uh, pep talk and speech and say, hey, do your best. He isn't trying to manipulate them with promises of health and wealth and ultimate prosperity in this life. He wants them to delight in serving the Lord because of who God is and what God has done for them. That He is bringing their attention back to the faithfulness of God. As they prepare to go into the promised land, something that they've been waiting for for generation upon generation. He doesn't say that we finally arrived. He says that God has been faithful to bring us to this point. 
He says, remember all the Lord has done to keep his covenant promise to you. He says that, he says, if you don't want to serve the Lord, he says this in verse 15 through 18, I think. He actually says, if you don't want to serve the Lord, if it's too much of a sacrifice, if it seems evil for you to put the Lord your God before your family, your career, your finances, your comfort, and maybe even your own safety, then he says, go ahead and choose choose the idols. He says, just be honest about it. He says, don't say that you're going to serve the Lord with sincerity and and faithfulness and have no intention of doing it. He says, be clear this day who will serve the Lord. And Jesus told us back in Matthew chapter 6 that you can't serve two masters. He said in Matthew 6, 24, he he says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. In Matthew 10, 37 to 39, he says something similar. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. God's covenant grace, his covenant of grace, is a privilege that comes with the responsibility And it's a blessing that comes with obligation. And Joshua Joshua wants um, the the nation of Israel, if I can call them that, and he wants us today to to go forward both counting the blessings and counting the costs. Listen to 15. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, the gods of antiquity, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, the gods of modernity. He says, choose whom you will serve. And I can can only imagine their internal dialogue. Just like the internal dialogue that I have, because we're so used to hearing this played out in our own hearts. Listen to some of these questions. Do I really want to give up my comfort blanket of idol worship and all that I treasure? Do I really want to go out on a limb and let God be my ultimate authority in every part of my life? Do I actually want to yield the control of my life to an authority outside of myself? There is a cost, and you might consider this cost evil. And if you're here today, particularly without a relationship with Jesus, I want to I tell you that. I want to tell you that Jesus Christ died for you so that you could be forgiven of your sins and have an eternal relationship with the one who created you to be loved, period. With that, there's a cost. There's a cost in following Jesus, that your life will not be the same. You will not enjoy the same things that you enjoyed before salvation. Your life is not your own. Your marriage, your singleness, your kids, your money, your time, etc., there's a cost. They're not yours. This is a call to choose to leave our sinful past and serve the Lord. It's a time for repentance. This present news is easier to accept. Whatever the news is, the news of war, the news of sickness, the news of promotion, I don't care if it's good news or bad news, but this present news is easier to accept and digest when we see that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Serving the Lord brings freedom, not constraint. So I want to bring you to a question. Are you going to serve the gods of antiquity? I don't know what that is for you. Maybe it's some kind of a generational thing where you're struggling with an identity, that you're supposed to be a certain person. The gods of modernity or the God of eternality? The gods of modernity are oftentimes the most attractive. They don't have the same form as the gods of antiquity, but they offer the same benefits. Some of the gods of Mardinity, um, and I'm butchering this word. I had it right once, and I've had it wrong nine times. Um, it's the gods of today in our culture. Some of these gods that we deal with today are material prosperity. 
sexual freedom, religious relativity, meaning everybody is right and therefore no one is wrong. You see, if we're not sure about the old news, if we're not this sure about the, the news, of the, the oldest news, the best news, the, the truth, or if this old news is replaced by more relevant news, we'll start serving other gods. When new news presents itself, if we're not anchored in to the oldest of news, we'll be prone to serve the gods of modernity. 2020, 2020 has lots of them. The God of politics. The God of economics. The God of peace, not war. Little g I'm talking about. There's lots of things to worry about in this new year. But Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then verses 16 through 18, we see the people's response shows that they understand the order in this covenant. It's the good news of their deliverance that is the basis for the response of loving obedience to his commands. They make a commitment. The people answered, verse 16, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods, little g. Therefore, verse 18, we will serve the Lord for he is our God. Joshua's response to the people's pledge to serve the Lord in verse 19 dumbfounds me. It encourages me, and it dumbfounds me. And it hardly identifies Joshua as a good motivational speaker. He just encouraged God's people to serve the Lord with sincerity and faithfulness, and now he follows it up in verse 19 and says, you're not able to serve the Lord. That's, that's debilitating. That's, that's exasperating. Or that can be pointing to good news. Joshua suspects in saying that you're not able to serve the Lord, he suspects what Yahweh already knows, that Israel will continue failing and keeping the law. And might I say this this morning, in 2020, going into a new decade, is that in your own strength, in your own power, you have no ability to serve the Lord. You are not able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. Wow, Happy New Year. Um, if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then He will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done good, done you good. You've got to know the bad news before you can know the good news. You see, God is a holy and perfect God who demands perfect obedience. He will not forgive the sins of humanity as a result of our good intentions or trying harder. If you forsake Him to serve other gods, your end will be destruction. Chapter 24, 19 through 20 basically seals the fate of Israel. And it seals the fate of all humanity if it depended upon us. But it depends upon God's faithfulness. You are not able to serve the Lord echoes Moses' words in Deuteronomy 31, 29, where he predicted that the people of Israel would not actually obey. They would be sent into exile and they would need God to regather them and to give them new hearts. You see, God's people can commit to serve God all they want, but, if, but Joshua agrees with Moses that their hearts will lead them astray, just like yours and my hearts that are not anchored into the old, oldest of nudes will lead us astray. So how can God's promises be realized when Israel's obedience is only partial at best? Their obedience is not the focus here. Their obedience is not the focus or the solution. God's faithfulness is. What they needed and what we needed is a new covenant. The prophets anticipated that. Jeremiah 31 speaks of the full forgiveness of sins, the law written on our heart, the perfect communion with God. Through Jesus' broken body and shed blood, 
Jesus brought about this new covenant. Through, through Christ, God removes his wrath from us. For as Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, Galatians 3.13. And through Christ the Lord, and through Christ the Lord has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. There's no flicker of deviation in God's character, which is why he will not share Israel's devotion with any rivals. He is jealous. He's jealous like a faithful partner in a marriage whose love for his or her spouse is so constant and so uncompromising that reciprocal, undivided love is the only appropriate response in return. Joshua was right. Israel would not be able to serve the Lord with sincerity and faithfulness. Thankfully, they had faith in a God who would send a perfect and faithful Israelite to live the perfect life of obedience they couldn't and we couldn't. And thankfully, God's spirit would be given to God's people to enable us to serve the Lord with sincerity and faithfulness. Praise be to God that Jesus lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. And that because by faith we are united with Christ, our obedience now is strictly a response. Our obedience gains us nothing. But it's our obedience, it's serving the Lord with sincerity and faithfulness that pleases God that honors and glorifies him. Yes, grace has a costly response. And our response cannot be exercised casually or without divine assistance. We can't do this on our own. But praise be to God, we can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. And finally, in verses 23 through 24, as Joshua, Joshua winds down his speech. He wants the people of Israel to renew their side of the covenant. And Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. And before we close off and before we move on, I want you to notice the last half of verse 23. Incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. That means to yield yourself, to trust him, to submit to him. And we can only do that in this new year in the midst of all the news coming at us. If we are anchored in, we can only do that when, when we have our minds and hearts anchored in to the old news of his faithfulness to his promises. And if he's been faithful in the past, he's going to be faithful in the future. So incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight 30, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Joshua required that the covenant be confirmed by a testimony of two witnesses. And in this case, the witnesses were the people and the rock that apparently he wrote their commitment down on. And as we go into this new year, I want us to agree with Joshua and agree with the people of Israel and say, that the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. And as we encounter new news, I pray that we will remember the truth of the old news of God's faithfulness to his covenant and his covenant people. 
A better life is found in remembering and standing in the old news. So would you stand with me as we prepare to sing? And worship team, come on up. We don't do this often. I've got just enough old school in me and growing up in a very liturgical church, I tend to miss some of this. So I'm going to actually ask you, if you believe this, if you believe this, that the Lord our God we will serve and His voice we will obey, I want you to shout it out with me. If you're still in process, if you're not, for whatever reason, feel like you can't say it, you have yet to put your faith and trust in Jesus, or I don't know what else it would be, but, but just don't fake it. So would you say it with me? Sounds dangerous. Count me in. Here we go. The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. Let's pray. Father, we bless you. God, you are worthy of all praise and glory and honor yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We thank you, God, that you are the beginning and the end. You are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And we thank you, God, that we can uh, anchor in to the fulfillment of your past promises to your people. And we thank you, God, that we see the, the, um, the, the clearest um, result of your promise, God, in the person of Jesus Christ that we can say yes and amen because of the perfect Israelite who laid down his life so that we might have life. And God, would you enable us, Holy Spirit, would you empower us to often bring to mind the truth of the old news that set us free from our arch enemies of sin and Satan and death. So in this new year, God, we know we're going to blow it. And we know that in, in our unfaithfulness, you're going to continue to be faithful. So, God, would you lead us on? May we serve you with sincerity and faithfulness in 2020 and in the years to come. And all of God's people said.